Well, good morning, Grace. Palm Sunday, like it's never been done before. Um, let's start our time with a word of prayer, okay? Lord, we, we lift up this time to you uh, that our hearts would be open to your spirit's guidance and analysis. And like I'd ask that you would help, help us understand what, what flows inside of our souls, what's our, what our hearts are filled with so that, that you might be a kind and loving father to help us not change so much what we do, but who we are so that that will change what we do. Lord, I'd ask that as we look at in Deuteronomy, we, that our hearts would be open towards their circumstance so that we could understand how it applies to our circumstance so that we might live in our situation in a way that shows that we are forever trying to be conformed to the fullness of Jesus Christ. Lord, uh, we ask that you'd bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Palm Sunday, like it's never been done before. And now next week, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday at Grace, we'll have one service at 9.15. That was Jonathan's idea. I thought it was a beautiful idea because he said, hey, we can finally all meet together. Instead of having multiple services, we can finally have one service together where all of Grace meets together without meeting together. So we'll do that. By all means, uh, join us 9.15 next week and invite your friends to do it as well. It's going to be a great sermon. I've been looking forward to the, preaching this sermon for six months. Like I, wrote it, I wrote it out six months ago. I'm looking forward to next week. <clears throat> This new season that we're in has new demands on us and it's showing, it's showing like what's in our heart. And it reminded me of a proverb that came out of India that said, that says, what a man, what a man is full of spills out when he's bumped. What a man is full of spills out when he's bumped. Uh, been bumped lately? Yeah. What spills out? Anger? or pity, do you wanna, you wanna get away, right? You wanna run away, ignore it like it didn't happen or maybe feel like you, you can cheat. You have a reason to cheat, a reason to kind of bend the rules this time because you got bumped, something tested, uh, kind of the nature of what's going on inside of your heart. These bumps, these testings that we're dealing with uh, set us up, make us ripe to understand what's going on in the book of Deuteronomy. That's uh, one of the reasons I was excited to come today to, to teach today was Deuteronomy 8. It's just a wonderful book teaching about the heart. As a matter of fact, for the heart, the word heart is used four times in this, in this chapter. And this chapter, Moses is speaking and he's telling us our future. He's telling us how this thing's going to end. He does for Israel, that's for sure, but he's telling it to us as well. If we understand Deuteronomy and especially chapter eight, we're gonna see that the key to our future is remembering. We have to remember the right things the right way. Remember the nature of God and the nature of his anchors, of, of his actions. Because remembering anchors, anchors our soul to the past, in the present, and it charts a course for our future. In Israel's case, Israel's coming out of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. They're about to enter lavish, the lavish promised land beyond their imaginations. And, and they must remember what took place in the wilderness. They, they, because, because what a man is full of spills out when they're bumped. And they were bumped in the wilderness. The wilderness was a purposefully 
for bumping them, for, te for temp tempting and tes testing them. And what happened? They, they, they had contempt towards God's love. They re rejected his provisions. They were suspect of his protection. They failed those tests. And in that, it, they, it showed what they were made of. Deuteronomy 8 is key to the book of, of Deuteronomy. That chapter, I think, does a nice job of summarizing the book itself. It's the first Old Testament chapter I committed to memory. I would challenge you to do the same. It's worth it. And the reason is, is because it talks about the condition of our heart and tells us what our future is. It is a book, it is a chapter of prophecy. It's going to tell you, based on your soul health, it's going to tell you what the future looks like. It does for Israel and it does for us as well. Look in chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. I'll read it to you and look for the key of remembering. Be careful to follow every command that I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter uh, and possess the land that Yahweh promised on an oath to your ancestors. Now you remember, you remember how Yahweh your God led you all the way through the wilderness for these 40 years to humble you, to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna. Now, neither you nor your ancestors had ever known of this manna, but it, it was to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but rather on every word that comes from the mouth of the, of the Lord. Your clothes, they didn't wear out. Your feet, they didn't even swell during those 40 years. Know this, know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son so Yahweh, your God, disciplines you. Know this then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so Yahweh, God, your God, disciplines you. That's the key. Israel, Israel needs to learn this in their heart and soul, that every breath they have is a gift from their loving father. That's what they're to remember, that God provided for them in the desert. God protected them in the desert and God was discipling them. He was disciplining them. He it says you have to remember this in your heart. It says our soul. You must remember. Here's here. Let me just tell you, you might not know this. I didn't know until I studied this passage uh, years ago. Remember means literally remember. It means putting things together, like remembering the part of a body so that everything's working together in community and in harmony. And the opposite of remembering is not forgetting, it's dismembering. It's taking the parts away from each other so they're no longer in harmony. In other words, disassociating the facts of what happened in the past uh, so that there's no, con there's no connection between the two. Forgetting is when it's just a race. Most of us, we don't forget, we dismember. And it is important for Israel to remember. And Israel knows this. They know how important it is. It, as a matter of fact, in the logo for this week, you'll see in your bulletin that you didn't get, but it's, it's there on the, on the slide. You'll see that, that uh, the tradition for Israel to remember is they had a thing called a phylactery. They would lap, wrap a leather band around their hand and in that, in that leather strap, there was a box and in the box was uh, a passage out of Deuteronomy chapter six so that they would remember, they would have to remember about God because what we remember anchors us to our past, to our present and pretty much charts, sets a course, a chart for our future. 
And that's why Moses is making such an issue of remembering, remembering right. We, we do not remember the right way in two different ways. In other words, we dismember two ways. And, and, and Spurgeon said it like this. I love his quote. He says, we are too prone to engrave our trials in marble and write our blessings in sand. We're prone to engrave our trials in marble. Oh, we don't forget the bad days. No, no, no. And then, and then we write our blessings in the sand. That's a way of dismembering, not remembering appropriately. Here's a, one way, here's a couple ways that we dismember. We don't remember appropriately, accurately, truthfully. One is that we, we remember the bad as not being bad. In Israel's case, if you know the story, when you read through the Bible with us, you'll, you'll read that Israel was reg regularly wanting to go back to Egypt because when they dismembered their, their storyline in Egypt, they said, well, we, you know, we, we had this amazing menu. Oh, the fresh vegetables that we ate. And as opposed to this manna oatmeal stuff we eat every single day. We didn't live in tents. We lived in houses. <laughs> they forgot the part where they beat the men senselessly and they killed the little boys. And they say, oh, but the salad, it's to die for. They disassociated what was happening there. They, uh, they dismembered it, not remembered it. And how do we do that too? We do that too. I do this. I, when I think about the good old days and those good old days when I was a pirate, and I, I have these memory flashbacks and they are so clear and vivid. And I know they're not just my memories because I don't remember that clearly. And I think about the things that I did, but what I don't remember is the consequences. That's the dismember part of that, the pain that I caused. And so a number of years ago, because this continued to happen so many times in my life, I remember making a, a plea to the spirit and said, dear spirit, when I dismember those Friday nights, could you help me remember Saturday morning? Could you bring back in the same clarity, like 4K with Dolby Surround, I want to remember the shame and the regret and the pain that I caused the people that I love the most. Help me go from dismember to remember the whole thing. Sometimes we, dis we don't remember appropriately because we call the bad thing when we, we, we don't remember it as being bad. Sometimes we remember poorly when we think the good thing was not good. Israel, in this storyline, it says right there in verse 16 of the chapter, he says, he gave you manna. This is the second time he says it, by the way. He repeats it. Uh, he says, he gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something that your ancestors had never known before, uh, to humble you, to test you. So, the, so in the end, it might be very well with you. And then it says later on, he gave you water, from a rock, <laughs> from a rock, you're in the desert. And he gave you manna, How, you know, and they complained about it, but, but it was a good thing. You try to feed three million people two or three times a day. Yeah, yeah, you had this thing called manna and literally translates as what's this, what's this? Yeah, every day you had, what's this? But he gave it to you every day. That was not a bad thing, that was a good thing. And water from the rock, that was a good thing. But you keep remembering it, dismembering it as a bad thing. So Moses is saying, boy, you have to remember. You have to remember. And what are they to remember? The key, verse five. Know then in your heart 
that as a man disciplines his son, so Yahweh, your God, disciplines you. Know in your heart. Know that it's a fact. It is in, it is in your soul. It's not up here, okay? It is down here. It is in your essence, in your being. It affects the way you think, the way you feel, and what you do. You're confident about this. You're certain about this. You don't have doubts about this. As a man disciplines his son, Yahweh, your God, is a father who disciplines you too. God is your father, a loving father. In Deuteronomy 1, when the book starts, it reads like this. Oh, I love this sentence. It says, when you were in the desert... There you saw Yahweh your God. He carried you as a father carries his son. All, all of you, when he went until you reached this place, he carried all of you like a father carries his son all the way to the end. In the wilderness, the mighty father with his love, he's showing himself to be a father where he's, he's providing and he's protecting. And in that desert, he's being a father that disciplines to build grit into us grit in our wilderness experience, in their wilderness experience, in our wilderness experience, it is to make us courageous and tenderhearted. That's what grit is. Courageous and tenderhearted. And he, he allowed them to experience this wilderness because that's what a loving father does so that in the wilderness, they would be tested. They get bumped. And the passage says that we read that they would know what was in their heart. It's very important that we see that, it, that, that uh, the appeal here is to Yahweh being the father. That's the attribute he's taking on now. There's plenty of passages in the Bible where it, God is like a mother who comes and nurtures you, who consoles you, who never forgets you. Absolutely. In this section, it is father who disciplines you. The father disciplines you. At least in our house, it was like, wait till your father gets home. And that's kind of the view here is the father's bringing attributes that a father is supposed to be bringing. And in the word discipline, it, it, it's not fun to be disciplined, but it has purpose. That's what, that's what we're to remember, that there was purpose in the pain, that there was love behind that spanking because he's a loving father. And here's, that's the father part of it. As a father disciplines his son, discipline, let me explain that. Discipline is, is, is what parents do to people, their children that they love, and it focuses on the future. Now, sometimes people get discipline mixed up with punishment, because, but punishment is focusing on a past offense, and you're just making them pay for it. But that's not what parents do. That's what, there's a place for that. It, the judicial system is based on punishment. But in parenting, it is, I, I need to look at my, my son and daughter and see what's in their soul because something bumped them. And I want to do what I need to do with consequences so that they don't do it in the future. So you could have the same consequence in some respects, a spanking. But if it's punishment, it's what you did. But if it's discipline, it's to prevent a future occurrence, a reoccurrence of that event. And a father's love is, what, is what's motivating a father to discipline his son, to spank him or have a consequence. And in this story, this story, Israel is the son, and they're getting bumped in the desert. In the desert, it was to test them so that they would know what was inside their soul. And they would see that, that it wasn't good. It was ingratitude. It was contempt. And God says, yeah, 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 let's fix that now. Let's fix that. Let's, let's turn that into goodness and grit. Let's make that courageous. Let's make you tenderhearted. That's what a loving father does. 
That's what God is doing here. He's providing and he's protecting them all along. He's making them more like Christ in all of life. It'd be the vocabulary we would use. He's, he's teaching them to live in the desert, in the wilderness, the simple life, just manna, just water, dove for dinner. And if they can be grateful and appreciative in that, that that's, that's going to make them able to be prosperous and be grateful and obedient. They're spending 40 years in the wilderness for this lesson, but I, I, need, to, I need to add some details. They're in the desert in the wilderness for 40 years because of their choice. They chose to reject God and that's what cost them the 40 years. But the wilderness itself, that was God's plan. God has a wilderness for all of his children. Those he loves, he sends into the wilderness. They spent a year at Mount Sinai in the wilderness, receiving the manna and the water from the rocks, right? And then they had a two-week journey into the promised land. That was God's plan. The wilderness was part of God's plan because in the wilderness, we're bumped, we're tested, and we find out what's in us, and so God can do that. And what was Israel to learn? What were they supposed to learn? What were they supposed to have deep inside their soul? That it was the, the heart of the Father that was motivating the things taking place in the desert. It was a loving father disciplining his son so that they might have a healthy soul. God wants them to be prosperous. That's the point. He knows the next, the next step or chapter in the story is the promised land. And he, and he wants them to have prosperity without being like spoiled brats. And so he sees in the bumping what's in their soul. He, they, they see themselves in that. And he says, wow, I've got to help you not be a spoiled brat, but I need you to be you know, humble and, and grateful. And that leads to obedience. That's what, he's, that's what he's been doing. That's how he's been a loving father. That's what father love looks like. There's, there's, oh, there's so many examples of bad fathers and bad father love in the name of, I don't know what, being liked, but this is a common story. You probably know this story. Hopefully it's not your story, but uh, uh, there's some rules in a house and one of the children of the son plays sports or something, right? And he, he's playing baseball. And the rules are maybe if, if you don't make grades, you know, if you don't make grades down here, then you, you'll have a consequence over here. Like you'll have to get a ride to school. You can't use the car anymore, right? But if you do something significant, like if you, if you take drugs, if, right? Then you're not playing in the game there. Okay. This offense, this consequence. And we've all seen these stories where the, the, the child is caught doing drugs of some kind, alcohol or smoking marijuana or something else. And the dad goes, yeah, but he, but he's starting and they really need him. And so we're going to give him this consequence over here. You know, that's what we'll do. That's not love. That's not a father. That's a fan. And, and what's tragic in those stories, and it's predictable, and we've seen it so many times, does the son become a repeat offender on drug use, if that's the story? Oh, yeah, sure he is. And why is that? Well, because he's remembering accurately that since he's an athlete, the, the consequence right, for drug use is not this. It's this. Because he's special, because he's going to remember this. Rules don't apply to him. He can live a life with no consequence. 
And that's a tragic thing for a child to learn because that's not how the world works. There are consequences. Discipline is to get the sewage out of a soul. And you see that sewage when you get bumped. And a loving father says, We've, we have to fix that. When I was in uh, seminary, Melinda and I uh, were part of a wonderful Bible study. It was hosted by a husband and wife with a, well, just, they were just wonderful people with crazy backgrounds. And they lived up on the hill and they overlooked the valley. They had, they had a 17-year-old daughter and she was becoming impossible to live with. She, she had a great life. I mean, she, again, the house was up on the hill. She was on the second story with a view of the valley. It lit up at night. It was spectacular. She had her own car. She had a closet full of clothing. But she was vain and conceited and certainly ungrateful. And one morning at breakfast, the dad, he just snapped and said, it's going to be different when you get home from school, baby. Now, his background was considerably different than hers. He ran away from home when he was 17. He lived in Florida and hitchhiked all the way to California so that he could lie to get into the army and become an army ranger so that he could, be, so that he could go to Vietnam. <laughs> it was so bad at his house, he hitchhiked across the country and then volunteered to go to the Vietnam jungle for two tours. That's his background. And so he just doesn't understand this level of ingratitude. And when so, so when she came home that day, she got what she wanted. She wanted to live on her own, and she got it. Her, her dad was grateful, great, graceful to her. He said, you know what? I'm going to let you live here rent-free, but in the garage. And in the garage, you'll find those dresses that belong to you, all four of them. That's all that you've ever paid for. And the bed, that's not your bed upstairs. That's my bed. But I'll let you use my cot. You can sleep on that. That car is not yours. I hope you can find a way to school. What about taking a shower, Dad? Well, his dad, the dad worked construction, and they built, when they custom built the house, they put in a mudroom, a shower area that before they even went into the house, said, you can, you can shower in the mudroom and, you know, just don't mess up my construction gear. She dis remember she dismembered her background she didn't connect her father's provision and protection all those years and didn't know that everything she had was a gift in her father's love and this act of discipline the I think maybe uh, more than a month living in the garage that's an act of father love that's what father love looks like. As a father disciplines his son, Yahweh disciplines you. And listen, I, I, I want to say that if you come from a background where your father spoiled you or ignored you or even abused you, that's not father love. None of those are. They're all evil in their own way. And if that's your background, that's your story, you need to find a new definition of father. The father in the Bible is a father that loves you, that causes you to have circumstances in life that bump you so that you would see the evil in your heart so that he can do some surgery and make that right. Know this, know this, the heart of the father is to love you and to discipline you. And the purpose of that discipline is to make us humble and, and grateful. And in that humble gratitude, 
we are obedient. And in that obedience, then we can have blessings and not turn into a monster. That's their story. And that's quite often our story too. Moses is shouting. He says, you got to remember this or else. If you don't remember right about God's loving provision and protection, then someday, someday you're going to get to the promised land and you're going to wake up someday and you're going to go, where'd all this awesome stuff come from? Wow, this is great. You know what? This is mine. I did this. I made all of this great things happen. And when that happens, it doesn't go well. Now, God, that's a prosperity sometimes is a bump. And God's saying, look, look, you can't handle prosperity if you can't handle the desert. And so God's trying to do this. The context of the story here is this. God knows this. The context of the story is simple. They've been in the wilderness. They've been in slavery for 400 years or so. They were in the wilderness for 40 years. And now they're in literally an inheritance. They're going to inherit somebody else's good stuff. And it's, and it's crazy over the top. Let me read this to you, but listen, listen with their ears, okay? 400 years of slavery, 40 years in the desert, in the desert, eating nothing but oatmeal and water with some dove for dinner for 40 years. Listen to how um, exaggerated, not exaggerated, but opulent the description here is. This is what's going to happen next. Observe the commandments of Yahweh your God, walking in obedience and revering him. For Yahweh your God is bringing you into a good land. Now listen, it's not flat and, and dry, okay? A land with water. Let's talk about water. He says water, brooks and streams and deep springs gushing out into valleys and hills. Valleys and hills, those are great. Water everywhere. And then it says food. Listen to all the food. The land will have wheat and barley and vines and, 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 and fig trees and pomegranates and olive oil and honey. And the land will have bread and, and it won't be scarce sparse it, it there will nothing will be lacking and then he goes I love this he goes even the rocks are great there he says the land will have rocks with iron in it and you can dig for copper in the hills wow I mean when you're looking forward to the rocks <laughs> it's going to be a great day when you get there and so if when you get there if you're humble and grateful that's going to lead to obedience and praise that's what happens in a heart that's healthy. And that's why the next, next section of scripture, let's read that together. And when you've eaten and you are satisfied, you will praise Yahweh your God for the good land that he's given you. But be careful that you do not forget Yahweh your God. And here's, here's how you dismember, okay? Failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, otherwise, here's what you're going to think. This is dismember, not remember. Otherwise, you're going to eat and be satisfied and you're going to build houses and settle down. And when your herds and your flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all that you have is multiplied in your heart, there's the word again, in your heart, you will become proud and you will forget Yahweh, your God. You're going to forget all that, all the lessons that you learned in the desert that loving discipline. This, this is, that's why Moses is saying, this is your future. You have to be exceptionally careful here because the father's love was, was, was sent to you to, to, to help you become grateful and humble so that you would be obedient so he could bless you. If you forget, you're gonna become proud and arrogant and, 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 and the prosperity itself will bump you. It's going to be the prosperity that bumps you and this evil will spill out. 
The, the reason there's somewhat of a panic in, in Moses's voice here, I hope you can kind of hear it, like, don't mess this up. Don't dismember this. Remember Yahweh and his father's love for you. Because maybe, maybe it goes all the way back to you know, Moses' day, the saying that for every, for every thousand men that can handle adversity, there's only one that can handle prosperity. For every thousand men that can handle adversity, there's only one that can handle prosperity. In other words, you guys didn't do very good in the desert. And because of that, you're not going to do well when you get money and when you have wealth. And so there's something about success that contaminates a soul. There was a, a, a strange article that was written at the very end of 19, at the 1980s, in 1989, 1990, some, uh, from a New York publication called The Village Voice. And it was about the author, how she knew three really big celebrities when they weren't celebrities. And, and she was grieving what happened to their heart. And she has, she has no walk with God, I assure you. But here's what she writes about them. She says, I pity these celebrities. No, I really do. And she names them. They were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful. I think, I think when God wants to play a really rotten practical joke on someone, he grants them their deepest wish. And then he laughs merrily as they realize they want to kill themselves. These three people, they wanted fame. And they worked and they pushed. And the morning after they got it, they, were, that they became so famous, they wanted to take an overdose and die. The last sentence says, the disillusionment turned them into howling and insufferable people. They could handle the, the, the grind of becoming great actors, but once they became famous, it crushed them because what bumped them spilled out. This is how you can dismember. This is the passage here. Verse 14 and 15, he says, your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied and your heart will become proud and you forget Yahweh your God. And here's what you forgot. This is the part you separated in your dismembering. You forgot this. Who brought you out of Egypt? He brought, he brought you out of the land of, of, of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness. He provided and protected you there. Look what it says. That thirsty, waterless land, the venomous snakes and the scorpions. He brought you water out of a hard rock. <laughs> all the dangers, all the, all the needs for sustenance. He provided all that. You dismembered that from your storyline. And then verse 16 and 17, he says, he gave you manna to eat in the wilderness. Remember, like, again, he has to explain this. You know, it was such a great thing. I mean, how else can you feed so many people? He gave you manna, something your ancestors had never known, to humble you, to test you, so that in the end, it would be good with you, that he's building grit in your life. He's making you like Christ in all of life. Otherwise, you're going to say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands, I have produced this wealth for me. If you feel like he's being repetitious, it's because he's being repetitious. And if you feel like I'm being repetitious, it's because... He's being repetitious. Moses is screaming at us from his grave. And he's saying, I know how this ends. I know what your future looks like. I can tell you your future right now. Here's, here's what it looks like. What you're filled with spills out when you get bumped. What is that? God, because he loves you like a father, is disciplining you. <laughs> 
so that he is trying to purify that, that filth that spills out so that you would be humble and grateful so that in that gratitude, you would be obedient. And in that obedience, you would be blessed. You've got to remember the father's love is what's motivating all of this. <laughs> and in verse 18, look what it says. You have to, verse 18, repetition again, must remember Yahweh your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as of this day. That's what God does because God is the father. He's a loving father who disciplines his children. He has a wilderness for every one of his children because it's in the wilderness. That's where we get bumped. That's where we find out what's inside of our hearts so that, so that we can replace what's inside of our hearts with the, the, the knowledge, the fullness, the knowing that God's our father and he disciplines us in love. God loves all of his children and he sends them to the wilderness so that he might make them like Christ in all of life. Need proof? Jesus was baptized and the spirit came upon him and said, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Now go to the wilderness for 40 days, no food to be tempted. It says in Hebrews that Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Jesus, the literal son of God, was loved by God and pronounced that love and then sent to the wilderness. If it'll do it for Jesus, it'll do it for us. We need to remember though, we need to put together that it's the love of God that disciplines us. How do you remember your wilderness? I, I thought we'd end today with just like, how do we do this? How do I maybe rewrite my history so that I can remember instead of dismember it? Here's some things that we've done at our, at our house. Just thought it'd be helpful. And then I have a homework assignment. One is Melinda does this. She journals once a year. This is called our Christmas book. She has 35 years of this. We've been married 35 years, 35 pages where she goes through and just writes a quick summary of all the things that God had done in that one year, the way he provided and the way he protected. I was going to put a picture up here on one of them because I remember the way he provided one year. Our first year married as, in Christmas, we didn't have a Christmas tree. <laughs> and then somebody gave us a Christmas tree. It was used, but it was great. Me, I, I collect stuff. And when, I, when I'm living my life, I just like... I grab things that remind me of God's provision and protection during, during difficult times so that, I'll, so that I'll always remember it's the loving father that, de, that did that, that was working in my life. This one, this one is sentimental to me. I, back in the day, I always had to carry a calendar before phones. And one year, 1983, I was so broke that I didn't have a calendar. And I have to have a calendar as I was in graduate school. And I had to know when homework assignments were happening and everything else was going on in my life. I had to have a calendar. And I woke up that morning. I was so desperate. I said, dear God, I need a calendar. I just need a calendar. Show yourself to be God. Give me a calendar. I had to go to the uh, registrar's office. And the registrar had this just sitting on the corner of their desk and it was a gift from like a bank or something. And they said, hey, you want that calendar? I'm not going to use it. <laughs> and I started crying in the registrar's office. Yeah, I want that calendar. 
God provided. I didn't have enough money to buy a calendar, and he gave me that. I have this. This is, uh, this is Pinocchio, and I have this to remind me that my pirate days were beyond naive. They were foolish and even spiteful towards God. And if you've read the real story of Pinocchio, uh, the cost that he inflicted on Geppetto and everyone else that kind of tried to love him, it's painful. And through a miracle of grace, Pinocchio becomes a real boy. And I just have this in my office to remind me that God has made me into a real man as a gift of grace. And then this, there's a long story that goes with this. This is called a constant velocity joint. It's a ball bearing set. It's solid steel. And I had to replace it in the middle of the Mojave Desert from 3 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. one morning because it went out on me. And it went out on me because there was a, there was a boot that goes around, a rubber boot uh, that keeps the oil in here and keeps the, the gear safe, the bearing safe. And the boot tore, and I knew the boot tore and didn't care because what could happen? A little sand get in there? Well, a little sand did get in there. And all it took was a little sand, and it ruined that solid steel bearing set. And boy, did I have to pay to fix that. And I, that sits on my desk. I don't have very many things in my office, but that sits there because I have seen men of what looks like forged steel in their character. And they let a little something get in there, and it destroyed them. Sometimes it was pride, sometimes it was passion, sometimes it was a need for justice, uh, whatever it might have been, but you could, you could see it and it started small and it became something that unraveled them. They, they dismembered their background. They forgot that God is a loving God and he's a father's love with discipline. And they thought that their success in life, all these men that I have in mind and a couple of women, they became successful. And those little things, those, those one things that were once vices are now habits and they practiced them and it wrecked them. And they are, they, these men and women were stronger men than I ever hoped to be. And so I just remind myself, I try to remember Things like that. Here's another way to remember. And here's our assignment this week. <laughs> the Lord knows we forget. And so we have communion to help us remember. Whenever you take this bread and, and this cup, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, we didn't get through the Red Sea. We weren't saved from Egypt. We were saved from ourselves. We were saved from the consequence of sin. We were, paid, we were saved from our own bent and demented souls. And so we have a lot to be grateful for and to be humble about. So that would lead to obedience. And that obedience would lead to blessing and becoming like Christ in all of life. And so like, so this is what I want us to do this week in your times together. You could do it over, you know, the, 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 the screens or you could do it in your living room. But do this as a family, if you're in a family or with friends, take the bread and talk, kind of remember. Maybe take something that's dismembered in your background and remember maybe some time in your life where the Lord disciplined you and had you in the desert, you maybe tell a story about getting bumped and when you were tested, it showed an attribute that needed to be dealt with and how God did deal with that because he loves you like a father loves a son with disciplining love. Tell that story and then take the bread together. Everybody gets to tell that story, some kind of story in their life. And then when you, before you take the cup, before you take the cup, tell a story about God's prosperity. 
Tell about a time where maybe God was able, because he helped you become more like Christ in all of life, was able to like bring you to some expression of the promised land, whatever that might be. It could, it could have been a, you know, get a boyfriend or, or a promotion or a better job or whatever, right? And it's like how God blessed you and, and remember how the desert helped you in the promised land. Tell a story together as family and friends bragging about this, bragging about this. This is the key. This will tell you what your future holds for you. Remember this in your heart that Yahweh God is your father and he disciplines you like a loving father will discipline his son. Know that in your heart and your future will be blessed. Let's pray for that remembering, okay? Lord Jesus, I do ask that when we dismember our back, our, our past, that your spirit would cause us to remember it. Whether we thought something bad was not bad or something good was not good, that you would give us context in that memory so that we would be reminded of your love and your goodness. Lord, I'd ask that you would help maybe some people that are listening right now take some, maybe a wilderness experience in their life and, and maybe re-experience it now with a fuller knowledge of this heartfelt belief and conviction that it was the love of the Father's discipline that allowed us to experience that wilderness. Lord, I'd ask that not just our past, but our present, would you help us see how you are providing and protecting us even in this very day? Maybe not lavishly, maybe just water out of rocks and manna on the day, but, but it's still you. Help us become grateful and humble so that it would make it easy for us to obey you so that we would bless you and be blessed. Lord, I'd ask that you would bless this church in this way that when we think about our church, we remember how you've blessed us. And so that we might be grateful, overflowing with gratitude and generosity so that we might be a blessing to other people. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.